Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. We are going to talk about the best albums of 2020 this week, but then like a whole new album came out, another surprise album, and it's by our friend Taylor Swift. It's called Evermore, and I have with me, by popular demand, Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield to do another Taylor Swift episode for 2020. We thought we had done our last (laughs) Taylor Swift episode for 2020, but we thought we were out, but she pulled us back in. And it's another great album. What can I say? I was going to make a joke about how well, I'm really shocked. I was, I was really surprised because Britney and Rob <laughs> hate this album. And I just could, I never would have expected <laughs> that. They loathe it. They're not Taylor Swift fans anymore. But, you know, that's okay. People's tastes change. Uh, but I, w- I won't make that joke. It's certainly, obviously, a sister album to Folklore. Mm-hmm. It's very much the uh, amnesiac to its kid A. Place the two albums against each other. Compare and contrast, if you will. Brittany, why don't you start? I love that the way that she kind of described these as very seasonal albums. Because I think for Taylor, like, I've always sort of related her, a lot of her songs and her music to seasons. Like, I feel like she makes songs that feel very, like, I don't know, this sounds like insane, like summer, like fall, whatever. But the ways that she's described folklore kind of being a spring, summer album and this being the fall, winter compliment to it feels so accurate because there is such like a wintry coldness to what she's singing about the topics there's also kind of the fall winter in the sense of the age and view through the album which feels a lot much a lot older than sort of the kind of like teenage heartbreak trilogy and the sort of you know sad kind of childhood nostalgia that plays into a lot of the songs and folklore like it does kind of feel like this sort of year-round package that she's built with these albums where they do feel very like seasonally appropriate to the certain vibes that she was trying to get across with them do you buy at all that there might be a third album from this set honestly i don't think i could take it (laughs) (laughs) you know i can't take this one so it it, you know it makes sense like i fully believe there'll be another one by new year's day i absolutely believe that that glenmore or or woodvale woodvale There'll, there'll be something, some, you know, subdivision-like name for this album. Like, I think it's a trilogy. Yes, I do. There are convincing hints that that could be the case. She could just be screwing with us, but it would not be shocking. By New Year's would be a lot. That would be a lot. <laughs> you know, it would this kill is me. A, this is a lot. Yes. Um, <laughs> but also, I mean, something about this album, one of the surprising things is it's not like it's leftovers from the first session. It's not, you know, like, whereas Amnesiac and Kid A, there are a lot of examples like this where... They released the first batch of songs, then more songs from the same sessions. But as she said, they just kept writing songs. And she said that they basically, they started writing these songs as soon as, as the last album came out because they just never stopped. And that she just wrote Happiness last week, you know, mm-hmm. which is A, extraordinarily believable, but also like it's, it's just kind of scary that it, it's very much like when David Bowie was making low and he knew low was good so he said let's go right back into the studio and write some more songs so it's not like Mm. 
more from the sessions. It's just a creative team that can tell they're on a hot streak and they just keep writing. And it does feel very much, I was so curious as we all were all day on the Thursday that she announced it of like, is this going to be like a continuation of the same stories? Will this kind of be like the same sort of vibe as folklore? And it is in a sense, just because of the way that her and Aaron Desner work together and the way that the sound that they created is, but it does feel like a completely different album. Like if you told me these came out, you know, there's a longer break between them and this is just like the direction Taylor is going in. Like it would just make sense. Like it doesn't feel like she's like, she meant for it to kind of be like this part two. Like it is like its own piece of work. Absolutely. What do we now know about her as an artist that we didn't know before she released these two albums? Because I do feel like as much as it's just a pure creative thing, whether on purpose or not, it's quite a flex uh, to, <laughs> to release two albums of this quality in such a short period. She's really ascending to the next level, it does feel like. Well, it's funny to think that she had a new album-ish a year ago, you know, and Lover was an album that she made the rollout of that album, you know, part of her artistic statement. She's someone who loves to do a very elaborate album rollout full of lots of hints and clues and secrets, lots of which turn out to be just total red herrings. But she's very much into the, like, count the palm trees that you can see out the window in the scene of the video to tell how many tracks are on the album. She's into that kind of stuff. And she's really sort of built that sort of back and forth with her audience as an interpretive community. So it's really amazing to see that once that she didn't have that as even an option, that the idea of an old school album rollout wasn't even an option. She just put all that energy into into songwriting, which means that she could make twice as many albums now if she just stops doing rollouts, stops doing tours, stops doing videos. You know, I love her rollouts, so I hope she keeps doing them. But it's really kind of amazing to see it. Something she said was that without having to think about the process of releasing the album, that she just, Mm -hmm. that that freed up so much, as she put it, creative bandwidth. And not thinking about the guests on each stop of the tour, you know, stuff that she does like a true fan and a true scholar of pop music. She puts a lot of thought and a lot of energy into that kind of stuff. So kind of amazing to see that once she has to put it all into the songwriting, twice as many songs come out. And even like with the Easter egg element of it, like the fact that she is fitting that more into the lyrics and into the story she's telling than ever before, like where it is kind of like, as opposed to the Easter eggs kind of leading up and teasing what the album would be like, it's like teasing what the other songs are about, like teasing what the stories are about, teasing who she's talking about and whether it's like a real life figure like Rebecca Harkness or her grandma, but just like the fictional character she's creating and being able to create those like little, little moments in between songs is just so brilliant to kind of see her as both this always kind of really great sort of mastermind of her own career and of her own way of that she wants to present herself, like the way that she can translate that to how she wants to present the stories and narratives of these characters in her music now. And again, she's continued to step out of her own personal narrative, which she, which she, as we've discussed, she's, she has done before folklore, but folklore marked the the sort of definitive. She herself uh, cited it in her Disney plus special cited it as her most definitive stepping out of the personal narrative. While of course she can dip back into it on individual songs, but that really does seem to have unlocked a whole universe of, of songwriting possibilities, right? And I think that adds to 
the ability to write more because if you're not waiting for something dramatic to happen in your own life, it's not like you need to wait for for there to be an update of something. You just write. You're just creating. And it's, I think you can feel her kind of just holding that power in her, in her mm-hmm. hand, like a member of the X-Men suddenly realizing <laughs> the full extent of, of their mutant powers. And it's just bubbling with like little rays are shining out of her eyes and stuff. It's just intense. But I, know, right? I just love because she's such a nerd. Like we all, I think especially for people who have been listening to her for years, know how much of a songwriting and music nerd she is. She may be one of the nerdiest pop stars in the universe. I think like her and like I would say Beyonce is as nerdy, especially when it comes to the performance cues that she pulls from in the history of music. Like it's so nice to like see such nerdiness from her and to kind of see her let that fly in a way that is so like unrestrained. She's going all in, even just like having her like describe it in the interview that she did with Paul McCartney too, and like everything else and talking with the fans and kind of making these little specialized EPs about the songs and the stories and things like that. Like it's just like so fun to watch an artist just really dive deep into their own nerdiness with how to write a song and how to like tell a story. It feels like roughly 400 years have passed, not since the release of Lover, but since the release of the single Me. And there was a lot of talk about, you know, (laughs) we've touched on this, but, you know, people were like, oh, now she's going to try to make kid-friendly pop now. That's her new direction. Of course, that was a a total fake out for, for Lover. But at that point, the discussion was, how can Taylor Swift fit into the new world of pop? Is she going to struggle now in this new changing world of pop? She just violently turned the page on all that. I mean, Lover did that in its own right, but this is just, you turn the page and just rip the page out of the book, throw it to the floor. It's, it's just a whole other discussion now. And, and part of that, both these albums is sort of the Aaron Desner of it all, the organic indie people would say nature of the arrangements and the complete stepping away from any concern about sounding quote unquote current or fitting into pop trends is she's just in her own lane. What do you make of of that aspect of the whole thing? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that she knew she wasn't going to be touring these songs. And so she was not thinking at all about what would work live, which is something that, you know, that she does think a lot about. She did not think about radio at all. Boy, she's like completely done with that. And thank goodness, as far as I'm concerned, she was not at all worried about like, got to get this down to streaming size. You know, something about folklore that was kind of like amazing was that she was writing long songs again. And she's very much like Springsteen that way. Like the long songs are just better than the short songs because some people are just really good at long songs. And if you're really good at long songs, you just got to take the bullet and say, okay, I'll write long songs with plots. But with uh, this, it was like she just, she didn't even feel compelled to have the token song for radio or song for pop or song to do live, you know, like she went all the way into this aesthetic. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more. 
and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. I was going to propose a drinking game with Latter-day Taylor where every time she mentions wine or drinking, you drink, and which would get you pretty drunk. But also <laughs> a side drinking game is to drink the first time we mentioned uh, Springsteen on the, on the Taylor podcast. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, now I'm not going to compare her song about her grandmother to See You In My Dreams by Springsteen. You're, I, you've robbed me of the Springsteen moment because uh, it would be, we cannot belabor this comparison. I, I was going to compare say, though, it to Ghosts on the new Springsteen album. Or, or to Ghosts, or, which, which well, or, or to, in fact to like half the Springsteen album. But yes. Um, <laughs> but I will say, and last Bruce comment of the, of the episode, that something about hearing her with Matt Berninger of The National, I was just like, and knowing that Bruce is getting tight with one of her producers and that Bruce recently said he'd heard good things about folklore, though he hadn't heard it yet. I was like, how long before, like, flat out we get a surprise release and it's a full-on Taylor Swift, Bruce Springsteen duet just to, like... Too long. It's already fo- too long. It's, it's just it's just going to, it's going to happen, I think. It's, it's, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Glory Days is basically the teenage love triangle from folklore... And also, I've been waiting for her to release her Nebraska. And what is folklore in Evermore but her Nebraska? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and she, yeah. Sorry. What were you going to say? I was going to say, end of Bruce Springsteen segment. Um. Absolutely not. No, there's going to be a lot more Springsteen to come. Like, and, and the fact that, okay, he's totally lying when he says he hasn't listened to this album. Like, but I think, like, with, um, I mean, something, she's always had a sense of place in her music. One of my favorite things she's ever said about her music is something that she said to you, Brian, last year when she was putting out Lover and she was explaining her previous album, Reputation, and she said that that was her nighttime cityscape record and that she was thinking in terms of like industrial warehouses and factories and like that kind of space. And that's why everything on that album is very, very synthy. And as she said, she didn't want any wooden floors on that album. Mm -hmm. And on Lover, she was sort of bringing back the wooden floors and folklore and evermore and 
the often forgotten live album in between that she just released at Thanksgiving that everybody's mm-hmm. forgotten because she put out another album since then. But that sort of trilogy, it's it's very, you know, it's wooden floors taken to the maximum, you know? The whole house is wooden. Right. It's Absolutely. A, it's a log and, cabin. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. She built her own guitar uh, by the fireside. Um, but, you know, there's a great... Great scenes during the Long Pond studio sessions where she's sitting out in the yard outside the cabin where they played these songs and she's literally sitting next to a barn. And it's like, (laughs) make sure the barn is visible when you're discussing how this album was made. But, you know, she's someone who always sees the music in terms of of site specific meanings. And as you know, as someone who loves reputation and and increasing, I love that album more as time goes on. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, one of my top five Taylor albums. Uh, these albums are so similar, they don't sound anything like sonically, but they're both very committed to that sort of sense of place that's in the music mm-hmm. very vividly. Well, I also think that, and I agree, I think Reputation is definitely her most underrated album. But I think what's extraordinary is if if you just, without looking at anything in between, but just look at the the leap from Reputation to these albums, it's it's Bowie-esque in the distance of the sonic leap. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's some serious distance it's like a totally different artist and i, I again I, I don't think it's something that people necessarily realized was was in her despite all the evolutions she is she's had so far and i think the mistake that everyone the mistake that everyone makes also and i think i'm guilty of it too listening to these albums i'm sort of like oh this is her now she's going to be this singer songwriter but i think she's the kind of artist who can commit to a phase so fully that you can really fool yourself into thinking that this is it for now on. Whereas mm-hmm. in actuality, probably the next thing is good, may, assuming there's not a third one in this, but the next <laughs> next thing, it, it will probably shock us just as much, I would bet. That's another like Bowie thing is that she makes each of these moves sound so extreme. It's like, oh, I guess this is who they are now. And she fools you in with each one of these incarnations. Yeah. And I will say to the reputation point, because as the resident reputation stand since since day one. I feel like there is so much influence from Reputation on these albums, especially lyrically, and given what she is sort of looking back on and Reputation being sort of her first love album. I mean, I think there's so many songs on album that are these like beautiful love stories that, you know, she had never really written a pretty straightforward love song that wasn't in in another character until Reputation, really. And like, I think that with that album and kind of also the themes of, you know, her, her again, reputation being sort of turned into something that was a little hard for her to handle and becoming kind of controversial and things like that. Like those are themes that have carried through since then and kind of reach a point that feels like a little bit of a wrapping point with Evermore. And I I loved the way that Susie Exposito had described it. Our former colleague, she had described it as this like, the beginning of her Saturn return with reputation to now where it's like ending and kind of seeing this culmination of a journey with reputation to evermore of like dealing with probably one of the worst times in her life, finding the best relationship and also kind of reexamining what her career is and what she wants to be as an artist to this point. And you can kind of see that through line so beautifully. If you just put on reputation and put on evermore, they feel very complimentary. Uh, to your point, I mean, long story short, is sort of all of reputation in one song, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. it's just it just sort yeah. of, it just sort of sums <laughs> the whole the whole thing up. Uh, it's and like it, here, it's, let's just give a quick uh, rundown of reputation. Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the uh, previously seen on like the Mandalorian or something. It's yeah. like, it's, 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 it's just, but but no, it also just I shows like the recap y- track. I like that. <laughs> but she's also constantly. What, what it really is is she's constantly reprocessing this stuff with a new tone. The way that we all 
if we're approaching something like healthiness, you, sometimes you look back and, and it all seems funny to reference something we weren't going to reference anymore. But the other thing, Brittany, to your point about the influence of reputation is even on, if you listen to something like Willow, the opening track, mm-hmm. the way that even for all the folkiness of the backing, the rhythmic flow of her delivery couldn't really exist in any year other than 2020 and it picks up on that sort of more modern R&B influenced almost flow that she started with reputation so I think you're you're completely right it just doesn't have future on it it doesn't have a trap beat it's not as it's not as blatant but but it's definitely there you know it's the it's her witchy track and also she released that dancing witch remix of it which I mean, if you put that in Reputation, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Like, if you told me that the Elvira remix of Willow was a, a bonus track in Reputation, I would be like, yeah, that's you're right. Just like we haven't yet heard the two bonus tracks from uh, Evermore. I keep forgetting that there's so, two other tracks we haven't even heard yet. Yes. So, so <laughs> she could she could have some surprises up her sleeve with us. Do you have information, Rob? Or you sound like oh, you have no, 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 okay. no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that, you know, she has trained us to... You know, to to never feel safe, basically, and to always <laughs> to always be expecting some kind of like abrupt, you know, revision. Because because I don't know about you, like what she did with those folklore songs on the Long Pond Studio sessions was just so intense. So um, the musicianship, there was just there was mm-hmm. so much guitar. Uh, a side of Antonov that we rarely get to see, where he's just playing a lot of guitar and mm-hmm. occasionally keeping his mouth shut, like and and <laughs> just he and Aaron Dessner, who I think of is just from very different sort of musical worlds, they're both playing so much guitar. So much of it sounds, you know, like Velvet Underground-ish or, or Mogwai-ish or Yola Tango-ish. All this stuff that's flowing in and out of these songs very seamlessly. And it, it did so much to sort of uh, reassemble those songs for me as, as someone who listened to those songs thousands of times in their previous studio incarnation. And so, but they sound different in, as sort of played in the lo- sort of long stomps. So I feel like not having the Long Pond Studios version of Evermore yet. You know, to me, I feel like we've only heard half the album because there's got to be this intimate in a cabin live version that is going to put all these songs sort of in context for us. So I thought we'd perhaps uh, go song by song. We talked a little bit about Willow. I talked about the feel of the vocal, but what would you guys want to say about that one? I mean, not to do the other drinking game with, Horse music now, but um, it is her Stevie Nicks, her Stevie Nicks track of this album. <laughs> this is the other side of the mirror. This is kind of the the spellbinding love song, and I I think it's also I mean I don't, I really don't like as much comparing as sort of like in terms of like better than folklore, but I do like Willow as a single more than I like Cardigan. But I think it's also just like much more of like a poppy track in that, um, but. Not to say that I don't like Cardigan, but like it does feel like a better sort of like single. Very sort of emotionally similar. Mm-hmm. Um, you are such a genius that Stevie Nicks like comparison, specifically the other side of the mirror is so, so, so right on for the kind of song Willow is. Mm-hmm. That's like kind of blowing my mind right now because it, it doesn't have an other side of the mirror kind of arrangement, but it's it's definitely got that kind of vibe in the lyrics. And the way she says, you know, every bait and switch is a work of art is Kind of a, a classic tail line that's been waiting to happen for a while. Yeah. And Champagne Problems has just a classic opening line. 
you booked the night train for a reason. I, I'm not sure it would be possible to write that line and then have a bad song follow. You booked the night train for a reason So you could sit there It's just, uh, you know, as far as, like, lyrics that... <laughs> I think it's actually... <laughs> I don't think this is even part of the drinking game. This is when you have to smoke crack. But I think it was Adam Duritz who said sometimes he was suspicious about who who I think is a fine lyricist. No cap, as they say. I, re- <laughs> I, re- I really do admire him as a lyricist. Uh, but he said that he was always suspicious of writing a line that sounded too much like a good line in a song. Uh, and I actually would say that that's an example of... It's almost too good. You booked the night train for a reason. But anyway. What a perfect Adam Dirt's quote that is. It's, <laughs> it's funny he says that when every line in Mr. Jones is perfect. But okay. <laughs> I feel so symbolic. Uh, that's, wow. Well, I love that. Well, God knows we all love Adam Dirt's here. And, and it has been a very long, long, long December. Uh, also, I love like this song. It, it really gets at these sort of, um, college post-collegiate sort of environment. It's kind of thing of like her sort of really like going a little extra on the world building. But yeah, I think this is a fantastic song. Yeah. I love that people um, very quickly pointed out the similarities in the chord progression that she used on the song to All Too Well and Cornelia Street, where it's like the chord progression of a Taylor Swift song that you know is going to immediately fuck you up. <laughs> it's like right here. It's interesting. She's made a, an effort to... especially as she she slips out of her own narrative to embody some touchstones of normal life. Like, you know, she never lived in a dorm, you know, but she she can imagine. Um, Your Midas touch on on the Chevy door also... Also pretty good. Uh, yeah. rhyme, with, rhyme with like November Flush and your flannel cure. Hmm. Pretty good at songwriting. Those are both such specifically darkness on the edge of town lyrics. <laughs> that it's kind of like Midas touch on a Chevy door really sounds like side one of darkness on the edge of town. <laughs> when Rob mentions darkness on the edge of town in any context, that's you, you take a shot. I mean, it's just it doesn't have to be. Um, <laughs> Boy, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't get very far through a day like I, 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 I obsess about that album and it's it's the most Swiftian of Springsteen albums. Yeah, but like this album is very 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 darkness like, and the certain characters that recur from song to song. Um, but yeah, Champagne Problems it's, it's fantastic. Also, it's so different from Willow mm-hmm. that it's kind of a, a mission statement as a track too. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Gold Rush. Like a gold rush. The ultimate bop on the album. I was so thrilled when I heard this for the first time. It was just like, I don't know. It's just so catchy. It's so good. It's also such a different type of kind of like rhythmic pop song for Taylor. And just like so much more subdued than she would usually do with that type of like beat and that type of, you know, melody. But I I really... I love that. I, you know, anytime she brings up gold in a song, I know it's going to ruin my life. And for her to just make a song called Gold Rush, that is like, everyone here wants you, that kind of like, you know, everyone's jealous of this person that I'm with. It's just, it's a great song. It's one of my favorites on the album. A lot of the songs of the album, Britney, sound like she was specifically trying to ruin Britney's life. This <laughs> album <laughs> has wrecked my life. Yes. I wish I hated it. <laughs> it's yes. so good. It's almost, it's almost like she heard you last week 
on this podcast talking about <laughs> country murder ballads and goodbye Earl and said, <laughs> I'm going to give Brittany what she wants. <laughs> we'll, we'll come up to that one. Uh, I love this song. It's funny that this song, this seems to be kind of a, a divisive song on the album as much as any other song. It feels more like it could have been on Lover or Reputation than this album. In in a way, it's, it's such a bop that it's a, a bit anomalous, but it's uh, just a fantastic song. The line about the Eagles t-shirt is really mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it actually, it does not, it's not about the Eagles t-shirt, but th- this does not, uh, this does not fit into the whole, everything I was saying about organic and nothing like pop. I mean, this is a, a total pop song, a total bop. This is one of like eight songs in the album that people are goofily convinced is about Harry Styles when I'm sure none of them are about Harry Styles because that was a very long time ago. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't think they were really even old enough to be at dinner parties with contrary and shit. Like it's not, it's just not the case. But um, and then then they, apparently, you know, he, he once wore like an Eagles jersey, which is not an Eagles t-shirt and it's the sports team, not the band. So like, come on, like she means the band, right? I mean, it's, she doesn't mean the sports team. I do love that there is a little bit of like a discrepancy, like people like can't really tell what it's about. I I believe it's about the band, but it could, you know, maybe she's a a football is a is a football a sports fan. <laughs> we, we could do another show where, where Brittany and I reveal just how much we know about sports. Uh, that, that would that would be a good episode. Um, that, I'm uh, definitely into this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but it's it's the band. It's not the. If you're Taylor Swift and you sing about an Eagles T-shirt, you mean the band, the Eagles, not the f- fucking football team. Come on. Um, <laughs> But it is super tantalizing to have that line, what must it be like to grow up that beautiful? It does, mm-hmm. with your hair falling into places like Domino's, which is interesting. Like, that's some real shit because you know that Taylor didn't like her curly hair growing up. So, you, like, you know that, that that comes from a very, a very real place. I guess I guess the other thing that, you know, the bring people to the Harry Styles thing, which, again, I, I, I feel is utterly invalid, but that everybody wants you, everybody wonders what it would be like to love you. There, it is It is about someone, you know desired so i don't know what is it about (laughs) i'm not saying it's about harry styles but what what is it about i mean it's definitely a common theme in a lot of her songs that you know over the last few albums where she's had these lines of like everyone wants to be with you blah 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 like wasn't that like on the song lover like there's a line exactly like that it's definitely a, a common thread of feeling like everyone is sort of also pining for the same person that she is fair enough and (laughs) Tis the damn season. Uh, to the point where you were talking earlier about champagne problems, the idea of like these like things that it seems like Taylor probably has not experienced, you know, like the dorm room, things like that. Like this is a very specific kind of like post high school experience of like returning home, usually for the holidays, running into like an, your teenage boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, and like, you know, kind of falling back into those feelings and everything. And this is just like, it was so funny to see so many people have such visceral reactions to it, especially people, you know, like a lot of my friends in the same age range as me, who every single time that they go home kind of like runs into their high school crush or like is like something like maybe I should have stayed with this, you know, the person I dated in high school. And maybe that would be like the best version of my life. And like, it's such like a common thing that there's not really any songs about it. And it's just kind of the perfect encapsulation of that, where you're like, maybe this would be the life that I could choose. But it's also, I know, it's just like a very, it's such a specific type of feeling that she just captured so well. I think there's a bit of 
novelistic writing happening. I know from the last time we spoke that she's been reading a, a lot of fiction, you know, and so I think it's all bleeding in. You know? This definitely feels like Normal People by Sally Rooney, which it, she has written songs based off of, and she is a huge Sally Rooney fan. Like, it does very much feel like that same type of song of, you know, this is a person that I keep kind of falling back to that has been in my life since I was young. And like, I don't really want to go back there, but maybe I should go back there, you know? Yeah, I think that book and uh, for all I know, the show definitely kind of sparked something in her it's like even if she's not writing it directly i think it it might have opened a little bit of a doorway to a certain kind of writing Mm -hmm. uh interestingly Uh, i personally like her songs inspired by it better than the actual thing so it works very well for me (laughs) but sometimes the product is better than the inspiration rob anything else about uh, the damn season i love this one i love the um especially the you know one of the the ritualistic calling of babe in, Mm -hmm. in her songs that you know like calling me babe calling you babe it's it's amazing that that is like such a, a primal scene in her songwriting that recurs from song to song from album to album yeah even more than the word babe itself it's the the bestowing of the name is such a, a ritualistic thing in her songs i completely love that and and it's something that in, in this song it, as britney said she's sort of taking a very sort of specific sort of narrative that is you know pretty familiar to people's lives growing up the thing where you know you go home even like that specific like going back to your old town for a week around thanksgiving Mm -hmm. like right before you go back to college for december it seems like that specific scene it's really kind of like uh masterfully put together yeah and who manages to release that right before christmas break i mean like (laughs) come on come on it is now officially a holiday song in my book like this is like a perfect sort of like weird holiday song I sit and watch you reading with your head low. Tolerated is a really interesting song, and it has, as long as we're doing comparisons, it has some of her most Bono-esque lyrics. Where's that man who'd throw blankets over my barbed wire? I made you my temple, my mirror, my sky. Who's going to ride her wild horses? It, it's just... Wow. Uh, but, uh, actually, even, and even uh, Break Free and Leave Us in Ruins took this dagger in me and removed it. Also... Very weirdly Bono-esque. But to me, one of the things that's interesting is it combines her sort of feminist awakening a little bit with a relationship song. It's just, it seems to look back at a relationship with new eyes. I don't know. Yeah, this song crushed me the first time. I mean, it still crushes me, but like the first time I heard it. I, I love that she compared it to, after she read Rebecca, that that was sort of the inspiration behind it of like this wife who's just kind of being tolerated by her husband, but... Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's such a beautiful ballad. It's just like, there's a lot of like, just really intensely, it's not, I wouldn't consider this album like sad, but there are like a few songs on here that are just like, so like, bone chillingly sad to me. (laughs) And this song is definitely one of them. Yeah, it's got that sort of uh, Carol King tapestry kind of vibe, like Champagne Problems does as well. A real sort of turning 30 kind of like sense of disenchantment that pervades a lot of these songs. Uh, people looking back at the early part of their life, their 20s, with a sort of, to quote another song we were talking about, where the, the road not taken looks real good and tolerated is is very powerful song. It reminds me a lot of, of Carol King's Tapestry, specifically of songs like It's Too Late. That sense of disenchantment is really like, it's, it's powerful. And it's something that's been in her songs a lot over the years. Uh, this song reminds me so much of White Horse from her second album, which, you know, she was literally a teenager when she wrote that song. But a similar kind of, you get what you want, and then 
this sort of like disillusionment and disenchantment sets in. This is like, I just think a like completely fantastic song. This is one of my very favorites. This is in my top, my top three or four for the album. And also I love that there's a lot of, a uh, lot of wordplay on the album. And this is an album where there isn't, I mean, this is a song where it, you know, she's pretty much sticking to the same story all the way through the song, which is relatively rare for this album. And she's just really fleshing out these characters, you know, from one perspective, just really, uh, really vividly. She really inhabits the story in a very, a very direct way and, and in some ways a, an anomalous way for this album. Let's go to Nobody, No Crime. And as usual, we're going too slow and we'll, we'll <laughs> have, have, trouble, have trouble finishing the album. Nobody, No Crime. Okay, look, am I the only one who thinks the chorus, not in any kind of actionable way, just, you know, amusingly, just sounds a tiny bit like In Too Deep by Genesis? I wow, literally don't right. know that song. That's not where I thought you were going with that. Holy cow. I, I, I had a lot of visions for how you were going to wrap up that sentence, and that's not where I thought you were going. I have never heard that song in my life. You've heard it a million times. You just couldn't tell it from any of the other 80s Genesis Rob, songs. Rob, sing it, sing it for Brittany. I'm not singing that song. Sorry. Uh, I'll play it later. Yes. It's, it's maybe it, like the eighth best song. I'll on listen Invisible to my Touch. one Genesis song a year. It's good. It's, it's very, uh, it's <laughs> not a country song. So it's kind of a daring. I thought you were going to say before he cheats, which well, seems yeah, like. I mean, yes, we can get into that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that I'm just saying it, uh, the cadence and the melody of the chorus bear a resemblance to the Genesis song. It's just one of those weird things. Um, but no, don't, don't, sue, don't sue it. Phil Collins and Mike from Mike and, the, and whoever has credits on that, Mike from she, Mike and she the com- She covered a Phil Collins song just last year. Yeah. Uh-oh. Like, Can't Stop Loving Me. We know right. she's a Phil song. Uh-oh. Okay, Phil, well, you know. Don't I don't you, wanna... uh-oh. Get, well, like, that's a smile. This is a big, this is a deep Brian, look what you made Phil infinity. Collins do. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to cause trouble here. I, you know, it's... <laughs> But aside from that, just a little mention, uh, great song. And like you said, uh, and getting high on it is, uh, is hilarious. It's amazing. She said this one's for Natalie Maines and she, she wrote the hell out of it. It's so good. It's so fun. It's, I mean, this is like exactly the type of song I'd want her to do with Haim. And I'm upset that it, take, it took so long for them to come together and make a song, but this is perfect. Yes, the detail, the drama, I will say super fun. The storyline, I am a bit confused because everyone keeps saying that, as I understood it, Este is murdered by her husband because she doesn't show up at Olive Garden. And then Taylor Swift has to come in and take care of the husband and frame the new wife. But I believe there's an understanding that Este is also involved with murdering the husband. That was my own source of confusion on the song, where I had been like, Taylor Swift is avenging a murder because his tires are clean. He's already moved in the new, the mistress. Anyway. I don't think she's dead, though. Didn't she like sort of stage her murder kind of like in Gone Girl? That, that, yeah, that could work, too. I thought this was Gone Girl. Yes. I I was like, Taylor Swift is avenging. That's why she has the boating license. Like, she's like, you know putting that to use but because i thought like when he said that the, the line with like the clean tires on his car was the one that threw me off because i was like did he do something as well along with being a cheating husband but that was just my my lyrical concern <laughs> <laughs> 
when it becomes a, a, a Netflix miniseries, we'll get the or actually Disney Plus probably since she's on the uh, since that's her <laughs> since she's officially part of the Disney Cinematic Universe. I was trying to decide if she's if she's more Marvel or Star Wars, but that's a whole other. I guess Marvel <laughs> is what I decided earlier. All right, picking up speed, happiness, which she wrote I, like ten minutes ago, as you said. I love that she um, she revealed that she recorded the song. I don't know if it was necessarily the day that she wrote it, but she recorded it the same day that she was doing the re-recording of You Belong With Me, which I love that kind of like companion of these two songs. God, she's just working away in the studio. I mean, that, that should be noted <laughs> as she, she recorded two albums, wrote and recorded from scratch two albums this year while she happily gleefully perhaps vengefully re-records her entire early catalog unbelievable yes this song it's very much sort of a companion to peace on the last album yeah just a beautiful song i'm really into this new trend that she has of these like incredibly sweeping one word song titles you know like there's almost like a sort of early john lennon solo album aspect to like song called happiness a song called peace a song called closure you know like yeah I completely love these songs and happiness like peace on the last album is, is a, a real winner for me. This is very much like the breakup therapy song where it's like, I, I respect that we had a very nice relationship and I had happiness because of you, but I will be able to move on. Also the dress fetish where she like focuses on, you know, like yeah. the dress she wore when, you know, like the dress I wore at midnight with something like, as we know, she takes very seriously what she was wearing for each, you know, each of these stories so I, I think it's fantastic. I have put a lot of time into wondering what specific dress and which of her songs uh, she means when, when, <laughs> when she talks about this one. And I think I happen to know. I think it's the dress that she was wearing in The Moment I Knew, which is a, a, a bonus track from Red. But that's a song that's it's, it's, it's about her 21st birthday. Yeah. And uh, getting stood up at her 21st birthday party and at midnight, and she realizes that he's not going to shout. And it's funny that she timed this album very much like to go with her 31st birthday. Yeah. And so I, my personal interpretation is that the, the dress that she's talking about at the end of the song is the dress that she was wearing in the moment I knew. It could be many other dresses in many other songs, but that's my theory. <laughs> you just blew my mind, Rob. Uh, yeah. that, that's mind-blowing. So, uh, 10 years ago, turning 20, and she, some, she mythologizes all these birthdays. <laughs> when, when she was doing that Long Pond Studio thing, I was like, this is exactly 10 years to the day since uh, she got the maple, maple latte that inspired All Too Well. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was November 26th. Like, it's true. 2010. Um, Dorothy is so great. And I wanted this song so much to be about Wordsworth's sister, Dorothy, because it would make a nice companion with uh, the lakes. However, I just, I don't think it is. Even I cannot go that far interpretation-wise. Yeah. This also actually, uh, it bears a, a thematic uh, resemblance to Hackensack, uh, by the way, yeah. by, by Fountains of Wayne. Wow. Uh, yes. Totally. Yes. Very strong resemblance, actually. And it also feels like the other perspective of Tis, Tis the Damn Season. season. That's like, right, because that, that person is... Is, is defined as a famous person. And clearly not yeah. Taylor, the famous person, but another. Uh, and, yeah. and, and do we think, I mean, do we think that, that these songs are linked? I think they are. Like I think they're linked. Because she yeah. also that described the Dorothea. Theory, yeah. yeah, she described Dorothea as someone who it's not, she's not part of the, you know, Betty and as James story, but she's at the same high school as them. So I kind of like that they're also like that little like 
kind of in the same universe as these other characters that she's built, which I really, it's the, it's the TSCU. <laughs> That's right. Yes, totally. <laughs> That's right. That's going to be actually, that, that answers my question on Disney plus you select Simpsons, <laughs> uh, Marvel, Star Wars. There's going to be another one, TCU. Uh, it's going <laughs> to open it up. Would you be, I wouldn't be shocked if they announced that there's going to be five shows based on the catalog of Taylor Swift. Actually. Oh, there's t- going to be a lot, a lot of them over the years. Yeah. Oh, t- just, the thing that she did with folklore of like releasing these special just playlists of like four or five songs as, as chapters, you know, like the salt box chapter or the, I, I showed up at your party chapter, where she's just taking a bunch of previous release songs and sort of putting them together into a little five or six song playlist so that they work together as a narrative. This song, this definitely reminds me of, of the lucky one, you know, and another Another jam from the Red era that I love. But yeah, much like Twenty One Twelve, she's doing partial rock album. Her albums would not be full start to finish rock albums, but part of the album would be would be a, a rock album. <laughs> we don't know, but we're actually having a contest to make the most outrageous comparison. I thought I thought nobody's Rob, gonna top that. Yeah, nobody's, I, nobody's. I thought like Rob had reached it by mentioning Mogwai. Yeah, sorry, I, I I can't top Twenty One Twelve. Like this is totally Taylor's Twenty One Twelve. Break my soul in two Looking for you, but you're right here Coney Island is such a brilliant song. And that one, it reminds me of, of August, of course, like, yeah. because there's, you know, the two best lyrics about a mall in, in the 21st yeah. century of all the songs mentioning a mall. Like the two very best songs that mention a mall are, are August and this one. And that great line that jumps out of this song, we were like the mall before the internet. You know, like what a, a fantastic line that is. But it also made me think of like this song is sort of, you know, the girl from August who she just recently said is not Inez, which really messes up my <laughs> my interpretation of August because yeah. I, I still kind of think it's Inez. But it sounds like the same girl, different city just a few years later. This is my favorite song on the album. I have decided it because I can't turn it off. And now I'm a national stan. I don't, you know, a lot's happened since Evermore came out, but... I love when my friend texted me about it and he was just like, the song sounds like a memory and just also kind of is a lot less of a cohesive sort of narrative that she usually does when she is telling a memory where it's kind of like these spurts of things that she's kind of coming back to and recalling and telling the story and that her and Matt are kind of, you know, jumping between. But that, um, I'm sorry I didn't win you an arcade ring line is my favorite. Them singing that together, it's just kills me every time. But this is absolutely 100% my favorite and... Also, there's no bad songs ever written about Coney Island. There's just, it's, you know, it's a perfect place. There's no bad songs written about it. It's a, always a winner. Yes. It's, it's funny that there are so many great love songs about Coney Island. And as far as I know, this is the first sad one. Yeah. <laughs> Usually a love song with Coney Island and it's going to be romantic and fun and cool. It reminds me of when I interviewed Lana Del Rey and then the first day she's like, tomorrow I think we should just ride out to Coney Island and blah, blah, blah. And there's this whole beautiful plan and then it was got totally scrapped. It has that the tragedy of that <laughs> missing trip in it. Um, no, but, but it, is, it is incredible that we've gotten to the place and admittedly it took a whole album or much of a, of a previous album produced by a member of the National. But it's amazing that we got to a place where it's just perfectly natural <laughs> that the National and Taylor Swift made a great song together. It's cool as hell um let's go to ivy i love that um this is sort of like where track 10 on folklore is a list of affairs and then you have ivy on this one like two kind of different perspectives on infidelity in music and in the songs and kind of like from the people involved in it but yeah the song just kind of 
is so bouncy and beautiful and hot like you know just all the ghost imagery it's just very it's very good it's also another another favorite of mine like this and coney island and tis the damn season are probably my my top three also this one like a a lot of these songs are making me go back to folklore songs and hear Mm -hmm. more things in them and this one is such a sort of companion to my tears ricochet and so it's it's made me love that song even more this is so great also her her profanity in this song is just top notch yeah like i mean just like specifically like her her newfound fondness for the word goddamn specifically which shows up a lot on this album always great but it's used very well in this song yeah so like, it was the goddamn fight of my life and you started it is a truly great swiftian line <laughs> and i think it's so great that she commemorated the 30th anniversary of john bon jovi's blaze of glory with cowboy like me uh, <laughs> really cool of her this has my favorite tennis court lyric fantastic song I love that. You're a cowboy like me. Never wanted love, just a fancy car. Never wanted love, just a fancy car. Another Bruce song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're still racing yeah, down with the trestles, but yeah. Was uh, Bruce not free? Like, could she, I, I would love for him to have done the the harmonies. On, I mean, Marcus Mumford does a fantastic job. I'm not going to shade Marcus Mumford, but, you know, Bruce doing harmonies on the song called Cowboy Like Me. We we needed it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song. It, absolutely, I I feel like that will happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I can feel it. If she she should do it just just for us. Um, and it's also such a Lana song too, so it's probably Bruce's favorite. <laughs> I've assumed. I love that. <laughs> Long story short, it was the wrong guy. Actually, not only sums up reputation, but perhaps her her entire catalog up to Lover in one line. It's such so. a wink. It's such a, a winking <laughs> song, and also such a moment of like such levity and humor after kind of the 11 song stretch prior to it you know it's just like you know like long story short like it, it wasn't you know it's the wrong guy sorry <laughs> also I, I love how she you know like sings about things that she wishes she could tell her earlier her younger self like mm-hmm. three years ago <laughs> like it's funny that you know like the reputation era was not that long ago yeah um but uh, it's such a, a fantastic song that has you know so many of her favorite themes in it and uh, yeah, I just love it. It reminds me very much of uh, Call It What You Want, which is one of my mm-hmm. very favorite of her songs. And this seems like it's it's uh, sort of a continuation of that story. So Rob wrote a, a wonderful piece about Marjorie, which is just a beautiful, devastating, powerful song. I didn't know better. I think you were talking to me now. If I- Really beautiful song about her grandmother, who I did not know that her grandmother was an opera singer. And something like so beautiful about about her grandmother's story. And you can definitely see the affinities. There's great footage in the video. For the rest of these songs, she just did, you know, straightforward lyric videos with sort of like background scenery. But she had a lot of home movie footage of Marjorie singing in uh, this video. And very beautiful to see them interact. But you can also see she's a character who re- really comes alive in the song. I mean, it's interesting. It also is Lady Gaga's whole thing about about her Aunt Joanne is, is also has some similar resonances with this. It is also is extraordinary, as I meant, you know, I, I, I'm, all right, one more Bruce thing. The fact that, I mean, <laughs> Swift literally said that Marjorie visits her in her dreams, which is what uh, something that Bruce sings about in her new albums. And it is, yeah. uh, you know, in, in all seriousness, it is a year where people are experiencing a lot of loss, and I think these songs, and I think Marjorie speaks to that. 
you know, and, and people are thinking about mortality and thinking about what people mean to them. And, and so I, I think there's, there's a, a weird timeliness to it. Yeah. I mean, much like Soon You'll Get Better, it is very hard for me to get through this song. And it's very, um, you know, when she does write about her family and she does kind of make these beautiful tributes to them and also epiphany about her grandfather and folklore. It's just, I mean... I would love, you know, I actually, I don't think I can make it through it if she wrote an entire album just like about her family, but it's just such a beautiful, she just writes so beautifully about it in a way that absolutely crushes me. And so Marjorie is, is a song that is very, it's very hard for me to get through it <laughs> once I get to it, especially once I kind of knew what it was about, just could not, that was bawling by the end of the song. Very beautiful song and, and also very, very um, self-consciously understated. She leaves a lot out of the lyrics a lot out of the story. It's definitely the most understated lyric on the album. There isn't mm-hmm. a lot of detail. She doesn't, she goes out of her way not to tell you a lot about this specific person or the specific relationship. She keeps it simple uh, in a way that makes it even more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And the touch of her, of hearing Marjorie when she's like, I can hear you singing to me now. And you kind of hear that in the background of her her grandma's opera, recordings of her grandma singing opera. It's just, I mean, just such a stunning element to the song. It's beautiful. And and it, it's powerful before you recognize who the voice is or where mm-hmm. it's coming from. It just fits perfectly into the song. Yeah. I have to bring up uh, Bono's line about his dad and the opera in me. You're the reason the opera's in me. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because... Yeah. Uh, yes, I, and I love that song. What One Step Closer is the name of a great Bono song about, about his father's death. And I also have to say, you know, obviously it goes without saying that Taylor writes great bridges, but this bridge, holy shit. I mean, yeah. yes. like, basically, I mean, you know, the, the depiction of a trip that they, a, a little trip they went on and the regrets about it and this line about being in the water and you'd always go past where our feet could touch. What a wonderful novelistic detail that is and before we all start weeping let's move let's move on to 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 closure what a great song title like why is she singing in a british accent uh, in the in the chorus (laughs) she loves the british accent these days yeah but it means something why why is she doing that (laughs) somehow like when she discovered the british accent she never looked back there's one on every album ever since ever since she met joe you know, ever since she, she first <laughs> learned to call the car a Jaguar, it, it, there was no turning back. <laughs> She's got the English accent track on every album, and, and I love it. Yeah. And we made it to the end. Let's talk about Evermore. And I just, I like the idea that perhaps every Taylor Swift album going forward, no matter what style, will we'll have one song featuring Bonnie Vare. Like, it's just a rule now. <laughs> sometimes they'll sing in falsetto. Sometimes they'll sing real deep. He might find something else, uh, but always maybe he'll he'll sing through a vocoder next album but something that will be bonnie ver i think now that she's re-recording her old albums she should put bonnie ver you know like <laughs> on each album so you know like you know so he could you know so our song is slamming screen door and like he could be coming you know he could be doing the the voices on that you know like just just retrofit him into all these these old albums i mean yeah that'd be so fun you know Everything has changed. All due respect to Snow Patrol guy. No, no, I mean that. Well, no, <laughs> what's the, what's the name of the one with the snow? The last time, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I like the Ed Sheeran duets. Uh, it's the Snow Patrol guy duet. Just put Bonnie Vera instead and see see if the song picks up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Also, um, <clears throat> the way that this song definitely like puts it in your face of like, yep, wrote this in November, <laughs> heading yeah. into December. The season specificness of this entire album, as Brittany was talking about at the beginning, really like strong, powerful theme in this album. And I love that this just really makes it explicit. I just like really love the entry into, I think it's the second verse when she's like, hey, December, guess I'm feeling unmoored. I just, I don't know what it is about that. It's just like, so like, Dear Diary, like, you know. Speaking of Adam Duritz, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's just, I love that entry into it. It just feels like, so like, kind of intimate and also very, like, you know, there are so, so many of these elements of like, teenage nostalgia, which again, feels so, so much more weight to it, given the fact that she is returning to her old songs right now and is, you know, in the same day again, like she's recording these songs, she's re-recording stuff that she did write when she was 15, 16, 17. Like that type of lyric just feels like such like a, a teenager in their diary being like, I'm not ready for, for December. I just like don't even know what I'm fighting for anymore. I, I love that. Yeah, this is a great song. This is also like Exile, which for a long time was my least favorite song on Folklore and which mm-hmm. I, I didn't like for the first couple of months of Folklore. Yeah, I didn't like it until like last month. Yeah, same. And it- I was like, you know what, Exile? I'm with it. And it's amazing that, you know, like, it took me months for me to start liking that song, and then I went to loving it instantly. It is currently one of my favorite songs on Folklore. I I think it's awesome. It's definitely taken time. Yeah. And it's the very sort of Broadway staginess of it that I I love. Yeah. And the fact that their voices don't sound like they belong in the same song at all, which I guess is what the song is about. This is also one where, like, listening to Folklore on cassette really helped. Because once I couldn't fast forward past Exile, I was like, okay, this song is not only great, but it fits in perfectly with the songs on either side of it. She heard you were listening to it on cassette, and that's why she threw in that line about rewinding the tape. It's just for you, because many of her fans won't even understand what she's talking about. I love that there's <laughs> one song that mentions a centerfold, and another song that mentions rewinding the tape. Like, she's killing it with the 80s media on this album. Yeah, There ought to be a, a typewriting song somewhere on this album. <laughs> So that is our episode. We'll be running a couple Greatest Hits episodes, but that is it for new stuff this year. Thank you for hanging out with us this year, and I hope next year is a better one for everybody. Happy holidays to everybody listening. Happy holidays to Rob and Brittany. Thanks to both of you, as always, for joining us. We'll be back with something here on Sirius XM's volume next week, Channel 106. And in the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. It really is always appreciated. But as always, stay safe. Again, happy holidays, and we'll see you in the new year. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.